<laughs> Thanks. Pray for me. Yeah. Whoo. All right. Well, um, with that said, I'm excited to jump into our message this morning. Um, we're talking about navigating the impossible this morning. Navigating the impossible. When I talk about navigating the impossible, I, I mean two things. I mean navigating crises that we experience in our lives that we're at our wits end on how to deal with, and then just navigating our world. Navigating the difficulty of being a Christian in 2023 in the Pacific Northwest. That in itself is a challenge. Amen? But I wanted to start with a story this week that you probably heard about. It happened this week. And uh, it's a sports story, so if you don't like sports, you can snooze, okay? It's okay. Um, but no, you probably heard about on, on Monday Night Football that there was a, a Buffalo Bills player um, named DeMar Hamlin who made a routine tackle on a wide receiver. He got up, took two steps back, and collapsed, and his heart stopped on the field. Did you guys hear about this? His heart stopped on the field. They took four commercial breaks. Uh, nine, nine minutes, they had uh, guys doing CPR. They had the AEDs out. Um, re got his heart to start, put him on an ambulance. His mom came down from the stands, jumped on the ambulance with them, left. The players couldn't go on. They were th th everybody was so upset, they stopped the game, couldn't go on. It had this, of course, you've probably heard about this because this captured like the national spotlight this week. And I'm sure there are other pastors talking about what I'm talking about. It's just too good to pass up, actually, this, this next part. Um, the sports media didn't really know what to do with that kind of event. You know, you heard people say, like, what do we do in a time like this? Where this man's life is on the edge, right? From a game that we just enjoy, passingly. This man's life is on the edge. Uh, it's inches away from death. And a lot of, a lot of people said, we don't really know what to say in a time like this. But I was really impressed this week, and, and, and I saw this on, on social media as well, but there was one reporter who on a ESPN um, show stopped the dialogue in the middle of the show and said, you know what, I know the Buffalo Bills are asking for prayer for tomorrow. I'm just going to pray on air. It's never happened before. Usually ESPN is called entertainment sports for a reason. It's all about entertainment and sports. There's nothing in there about prayer or any of that. But this guy named Dan Orvlosky, who was a, a quarterback at one point, he interrupted the show, and he said, I want to I pray right now. And I, I'm just going to read what he said. He said, maybe this isn't the right thing to do, but it's on my heart that I want to pray for DeMar Hamlin right now. And then he explained what he was going to do. I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. And he proceeds to pray like a really meaningful prayer uh, for comfort, for healing, for peace, for Damar and his family. And he also says this in his prayer. He says, if we didn't believe that prayer worked, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. So it's just this beautiful picture of faith, a beautiful picture of heaven intersecting mundane, everyday life, that someone made a decision right there to not just say, I'm going to pray, but to, but to risk his job to pray for this man. To pray, and not only pray, but teach others who maybe have never prayed before how to pray and what it looks like. Now, when I saw this, 
like anybody, I wanted to see what the world reaction was like. So you go on Twitter to see the absolute worst reactions that people make. And you know what? I couldn't find a bad reaction. I was shocked. I was shocked. I saw stuff like this. I, I wrote this comment down. Somebody said, not a religious man at all, but love and respect what you did here. Totally warranted in this situation. Such class. I know this means so much to DeMar and his friends and family, wishing all the best for them. It's powerful. It's powerful. And this guy, Dan Orvlovsky, took a step of faith, and it meant a lot. It meant a lot. But it was an impossible situation. What do I do here? And in the middle of this chaos, this guy prays on air. This guy prays on air and shows people what faith looks like. So with that in mind, it's fitting today that we talk about a different Daniel, one who's a little bit older. Um, we're in the book of Daniel. We're looking at, uh, we're looking at the whole book of Daniel. Um, the book of Daniel is uh, really interesting. The first six chapters are story of, of faith in action, faith in incredibly hard circumstances, uh, faith navigating a whole new abrasive world, and then the last six chapters um, are more in the prophetic. So we're really going to spend a lot of our time in the first six, and we're going to cover some of the last six, but we're not going to get into all the, the meanings and what could this be and all that, but we are going to cover it. Um, but we're in Daniel 2 today, and so think about this. In the year 604 B.C., the Babylonian comes in and wipes out Jerusalem, wipes out Judea, destroys the temple, tears down the walls, destroys this city, and then they take some of, some of the young men up to the center of the empire, um, the, 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 the castle the, the, uh, where the emperor lives, to live in the king's courts and become wise men for the king. So for Daniel and his friends who were taken from their destroyed um, homeland into their captor's uh, the, the captor's capital, like that's a huge shift in navigating feelings of anger and being in a world now that's not supportive of their faith but abrasive to their faith and trying to uh, learn a new language and learn new systems and it's all crazy and new and dealing with the feelings of all that they lost, all that they left behind, everything that was destroyed, there is no mention of their families, what happened to their families, where were they? They lived in an environment that was absolutely abrasive to their faith, that was spiritually suffocating. And last week, Brian masterfully introduced this, this uh, book, this series, um, and if you weren't here for that, I would recommend go back and watch it because it's such a great foundation for what we're going to talk about. And, and one of my favorite parts of Brian's message last week uh, was, the, what was his example of red light, green light, if you were here, talking about the children's game red light, green light, except talking about it in terms of how we relate to our world and our faith. Like if we know, we know, the, we know the no-nos of our faith, the red lights, what we shouldn't do. We know the green lights, like this is the fruits of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, loving my neighbor, um, all these, you know, serving, worshiping, praying, like we know the green lights, but as we navigate life, there are a whole lot of yellow lights, right? Amen? There's a whole lot of 
stuff, you probably wish, man, I wish the Bible was just really specific about this or how to deal with this. You wish it was more specific, which if you dive in, it will speak to you. God will speak to you. But um, there is a whole lot of yellow that we navigate as Christians in our world. And it has a lot to do with the same stuff that, that Daniel experienced. How do I navigate an abrasive world and keep my faith and hang on to my faith and not just survive, but thrive? So, so that's sort of what we're diving into, the things that puzzle us and confuse us. How do we respond to the confusing and difficult realities that we face in the world? And, um, <clears throat> and Daniel shows us how to live as a follower of the true God and also live in respect to a foreign power, right? And as citizens of heaven, we have that same tension. We live ultimately for the one true God, but we also live under worldly power, too. We all live in that. And it's not just governmental, right? It's your job, right? It's, it's, the, it's, it's the society we live in. Uh, we, we live with the same tension. And so today we're going to answer this question, how can we navigate impossible situations that the world throws at us through faith? How can we navigate all the impossible situations the world throws at us through faith. Because often, as we navigate this tension, life can feel impossible, we can feel inadequate and overwhelmed for what we have to deal with. And these are all situations that require great faith. The cool thing about Daniel's situation, and what we see very early on um, from Daniel's situation, is that God just doesn't allow them to go into Babylon without any tools. This is what it says in Daniel 1.17. It says, To these four young men God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. All kinds. So Brian mentioned last week, like some of that learning was not, was not theology. It was math. It was topics that, that interest the Babylonian people that he was interacting with. God gave Daniel tools to interact with the world around him. He also gave Daniel the, ability, the supernatural ability to understand dreams and visions. So you see both Daniel having worldly knowledge and, and spiritual discernment and ability. Worldly wisdom to navigate but also spiritual discernment, spiritual, um, uh, and spiritual ability that isn't natural, that comes from God. So we see both knowledge and spiritual discernment are these gifts that God gives Daniel to help him navigate the world that he lives in. You may have heard this phrase at some point, maybe not, maybe I grew up in a really weird house, um, but uh, the phrase... God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Has anybody heard that? If you've been around in church, you may have heard that. Um, okay, I'm glad I'm not the only weird one who's heard that. Um, but yeah, I've heard that a lot over the years. And, and, and basically that means if you, if you follow Jesus, he's going to call you to places where you feel inadequate and overwhelmed. And you're going to have to rely on him to help you in those situations. Not so that you can be seen as great, but that he can, right? There's that verse that says, in your weakness, I am made strong.
know, so God chooses to use people who are ill-equipped for the task at hand and empowers them in that moment. He equips them. And that could be big things, you know, moving to uh, across the seas to, to share the gospel. That could also be raising young kids when you don't feel like you have the tools to do it. That could be working in a hostile work environment that, that feels toxic and navigating that um, but, but from, uh, from a place where God's at work in your heart and not letting that choke you but, uh, but thriving as a Christian in an environment like that. It could be a health diagnosis that you get and you don't know what to do with. Uh, it could be working with poor, the poor and, and addicted and having your heart break for them and feeling like you don't have tools to help the need that's there. And I know these are not hypothetical situations just based on the people sitting in this room. These are not hypotheticals. This is tension that we wrestle with. Faith is going to lead us all into situations where we have to depend on God. We have to depend on Him. Faith is going to lead us to vulnerable places where we feel exposed and we have to cling to God. But it's also in those places where we discover all the gifts that He's given us, all the, all the good that He's He's given us. Um, th these young men didn't realize what they had until God put them in the belly of the beast, put them in, in the, the fire. He didn't know, they didn't know what they had until they were in it. And so in Daniel's case, God gave him not only what he needed to survive, but also to stand out. Because that's what Christ in you does. You don't just get by, you stand out when Christ is in you. When Christ is at work in you, when you when when uh, when you love differently, and when you um, pray differently, and when you speak to people differently, that's Christ shining through you. That's God at work. So, in Daniel um, in Daniel chapter two, we find uh, Daniel and his friends in an impossible situation that threatened their lives. Their lives were at stake, and they were at the mercy of a raging emperor. And we're going to read this story, and I will say it's fairly long, okay? So um, if, if, uh, if you doze off, you want me to clap at the end so you can wake up? <laughs> no, it's okay. It should be good. Um, so anyways, here we go. This is the first half of Daniel 2, um, starting in verse 1. It says, In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it for you. Or we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Emperors have a little more power back then. Uh, than <laughs> but if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards in great honor. Uh, so tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. 
Then the king answered, I'm certain that you are trying to, buy, to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great or mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree issued so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. So there's your impossible situation. A raging emperor uh, who is bent on not only these all his wise men um, being able to interpret a dream that he tells them, but also knowing what it is. And I think it's fascinating that they say only the gods can do this. You know, they've, they've reached their limit. They, they have no power, uh, no ability. They've really been called out. And, uh, and uh, the stakes could not be higher. And, and Nebuchadnezzar, as you'll see, um, the, uh, the driving motivator for Nebuchadnezzar is rage. He is a raging king. And so he's going to put them all to death. And Daniel and his friends are included in that group, even though they weren't there at the time. I think it's interesting, though. Let's go back to the character of Nebuchadnezzar. I find it fascinating that God would even mess with Nebuchadnezzar, would even talk to him, uh, if you think about it. He speaks to him at night. Nebuchadnezzar has all the power in the world, but everybody feels vulnerability at night, right? Alone, in the quiet. Nights, often, when we feel the most vulnerable, and most afraid, like we're not in control. And that's where God speaks to Nebuchadnezzar, and he basically, he bugs him. Says that he's sleepless, he can't sleep, he's lost his peace. God is bugging Nebuchadnezzar. What's also interesting is that Nebuchadnezzar was the one who destroyed the temple of God. He destroyed the temple of God. So in his mind, the God of the Hebrews is no big deal because he destroyed that temple, right? But here we have God uh, in intersecting his life, interrupting him. And on the other hand, how crazy is it that God would even speak to this guy, the man who destroyed the temple of God? That in itself shows you the great capacity of grace that God has. If you feel like God won't speak to you because there's too much between you and God, God spoke to Nebuchadnezzar, a raging maniac who destroyed his temple. All right, just, just be encouraged that God, there is no distance that God can't cover. Right, there is no one too far. That's not just a saying you hear, oh, there's no one too far gone. That's not just a trite saying, it's true. It's true that nobody is beyond the reach of God, not even this guy, Nebuchadnezzar. There's no boundary that God can't cross over. So, God disturbs the mind of the king. No, no sleep, no peace. Um, and like a baby who doesn't have any sleep or peace, they get kind of angry. So Nebuchadnezzar's a little fussy here. Um, 
fussy enough to kill all the wise men in his empire. Um, and you, you can also see that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't want any, he, this is so real to him, he doesn't want any phony answers. No phoniness, and that's why he gives this great edict, because he probably realizes these guys have, have given, just told him what they, they, he wanted to hear in the past. You know, and sometimes we come to expect that from politicians, right? Politicians sort of say what people want to hear. Um, sometimes we might even feel that way in the church, and I hope that's never our church, right? Oh, the pastor just saying, you know, like, like in, the, in the Bible, it talks about, you know, people go to get their ears tickled or whatever. And, and you know, we never want to be that kind of church. We want to be uh, completely transparent with what God says in his word. And so the difference, the difference between you and Nebuchadnezzar is that Nebuchadnezzar had all the power in the world to do whatever he wanted, right? So he's going to kill um, all of these all of these people um, and they're powerless they can't do anything they can't even save their own skin and this was their realization is that the king was seeking only what God could provide is that without God we, we find our limit we find our limit um, we, we might be smart, be skilled we might be able to get a long life but without without an encounter with God we find our limit and that's what these wise men from all around the world had done only God could provide what Nebuchadnezzar was demanding and we realize this when we face impossible situations there was a moment on, on Monday night right when the announcers are trying to make sense of, of what happened on the field where it was just sort of helpless nobody really knew what to say so the other part of this is, is that Daniel and his friends were not involved in the situation, but the impossible situation came to them. And that's like our lives sometimes. Sometimes we don't need to go looking for the impossible. It just lands on our doorstep, right? Sometimes we don't need to go looking for it. Sometimes it just, it, it just comes anyway. You know, whether it's a, a health thing or a, a relationship that goes bad. You might have done everything right. Like Daniel and his friends, they were doing everything right. They were in a tough situation anyways, and still this impossible situation came. Uh, and sometimes that's what happens. You know, whether it's, whether it's illnesses, losing loved ones, losing a job, a house, um, something going on with your kids. Um, we all have things that come up in our lives that, that we didn't ask for. And if we're honest, we, we don't feel like we deserved maybe. And uh, what do we do when these things happen? What do we do when these things happen? We're going to look at, at Daniel and his friend's response in the next verses, verses 14 through 19. Not quite as long as the last passage. <laughs> so um, it says, When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put him to death, the wise men of Babylon, or to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom intact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. So here's an impossible situation. Here's an impossible situation. And what does Daniel do? I think there's, there's three things I, want, I, I, I see that I think are so key. The first words you see are that he approaches the guard with wisdom and tact. He doesn't panic. He doesn't panic. Wisdom and tact can be a sign of faith, right? That, okay, even in this situation, even with a death sentence coming to my door, I'm not going to panic. And what that wisdom allowed him to do in the moment is to slow down and ask this guy a question. Why so harsh? It almost sounds like a counselor, right? Hey, why, why so harsh? You know, slow down a little bit. I don't know if it sounded like that, but that's the image I got. But, but uh, why, you know, just the question, why, why so harsh? And for us today, do you, do you think about your need for, for wisdom today? Are you praying for wisdom? Are you seeking wisdom? Do you believe you need wisdom, more wisdom than you have? I do. Wisdom is a biblical pursuit. It's something that God wants us to pursue. God wants us to pursue wisdom. And, and the way that I define wisdom, this is not just from me, but sort of from a couple definitions um, that I compiled Wisdom is having the skill to navigate the complexities of life with the fear of God as our starting point. If you read in Proverbs, it says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, right? So that is our starting point. And in that, having the skill to navigate this life, because our lives are complicated, right? Our lives are systems that if one thing breaks, it could all fall apart, right? They're intricate, they're complex, we need wisdom, and we need to seek wisdom, right? We need to seek wisdom, because not only are we complicated, this world is complicated. People are complicated. The people that you interact with on a daily basis are complicated. We often only see the behavior like a tip of the iceberg, but there's a whole lot going on underneath, right? We need wisdom, because people are complicated, our world is complicated, our world will keep us on our toes, and there's always more going on than you realize. And the good news is, God provides wisdom, both, both spiritually, as we pray, he'll give us a word, but there is wisdom in these pages. In these pages. Proverbs, James, yes, but the whole book makes us wise. So Daniel, in his wisdom, feared God more than he feared this death sentence. And what did that allow him to do? It allowed him to relax, and it allowed him to give God control. And it also allowed him to go see the king, who's probably still fuming mad at this point. Imagine the faith that took. Hey, I'm going to go talk to the king and see if he'll let me interpret it. And he does, and he, and he, and he grants Daniel and his friends uh, the chance to interpret it. But you know if he fails, he's getting his head chopped off first right? You know that that's going to happen. But I love this. When Daniel goes home to his buddies with this, first thing you notice is they're not fearless, right? People in the Bible are still people. 
just like you and me, right? They're, they're crying out to God. Like they have faith, but they know if God does not speak to them, that they're dead in the morning. And so they are crying out for their lives. He, he tells his friend to plead for God's mercy. And, and so they're not just going home and going to books or, or having a great conversation and, 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 you know, trying to make sense of everything in their own minds. They're, they're, they're praying together in community. And when they cry out, God answers. Later that night, God reveals the vision to Daniel. After that, in the, the last part of that verse, it says, then Daniel blessed the Lord. But God does come through. God does reveal the vision of the king to Daniel. And Daniel had the faith not to panic, but to gather together with his God-fearing friends and seek the Lord together. So, with this in mind, let's, let's bring it back towards us, right? Because this matters today. The question for us today is, are you living like prayer is the answer to the impossible? Are you living like prayer is the answer to the impossible? And it's not just to get you to come to one of our three great prayer groups. <laughs> I said three, not two, three. But are you living like prayer is the answer? I always look at it this way. When you're stressed out, what do you do? Do you wind up or do you sit? Right? That's faith. It takes faith to sit in a crisis. It takes faith to slow down and pray. And a cliche that we've all heard is you just got to give it to God. It's cliche, but it's still true. Right? In the middle of the crisis, ultimately, we still give it back to God we still allow him to take the impossible off of our, our shoulders. Um, I remember the first time as a young married guy, we, are, we, we had really bad cars back then, and they would break down. And I remember there was one that broke down um, right before Bonnie's first day of work, like the night before. And I was freaking out, and I didn't think to pray, even though I know I should have. I thought the burden was on me to figure it out. And God came through, and it worked out, and we were okay. But it's that burden we feel. When something goes wrong, it's on me to figure it out. And God would invite us to slow down, right? And actually pray and cry out. Cry out. Like pray seems like a soft word. Crying out, we know what that feels like. Crying out is desperation. God, without you... I'm sunk. Without you, I'm not getting to work in the morning. <laughs> Whatever it might be, right? Crying out. And that takes faith. That takes faith to say, God, I know you're there. And God, I know you have power. And I know you have power over this specific situation right now. That's faith. The next step of faith is to actually pray and cry out in community. It's one thing to pray and cry out on your own, it's another thing to take that into the church community and ask for prayer, right? And bring something before them and cry out to God and trust that he's at work. And even, even in, in, in uh, not, not just confirming it in your life, but in other lives as well. And that's what God wants to do. And that is why I go to men's prayer at 6 a.m. It's worth it. It's worth it. 
Not because it's the good Christian thing to do, but because the more I go, the more I realize, actually, I need this. There's something in my soul that needs, that needs this connection with God and with others, and actually, that's a, a biblical thing, too. Um, Jesus talked about that. In Matthew 18, 20, he said, Again, truly, I tell you that if two, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So where two or three gather in my name, I am there with them. Now, God can be present to you while you're alone, but Jesus is saying there's, there's something even more tangible and palpable about the presence of God when you gather in community with other believers, that it's more felt, that there's a ministry going on there when you gather with other believers. Really, the devil would love to keep us in isolation, away from each other. But there's power when we come together and we pray and, and, and we seek God together. I'm not saying that God won't answer your prayers if you pray them privately. No, that's, I don't think that's what it's saying. But there is something powerful and confirming about taking the step of faith and asking for that and asking, being humble enough to ask other believers, hey, will you surround me in this? Right? That's a step of humility. And humility always takes faith. Those, those steps never comfortable. Right, to admit I'm struggling or to admit I need prayer for this. But it's a beautiful thing and we see God's power evident when we're humble and we take those steps. God responds. This is not a formula where it's like guaranteed success. Right? That's not it. Um, but there is something tangible and palpable about getting together with other Christians and praying. So I want to ask a couple questions as we kind of near the finish here. Um, are you living like prayer is the answer to the impossible, and are you taking steps to pray in community? So that's kind of the action step. Yes, if you're not praying in the mornings, take time to pray in the morning, but uh, the next step is take, take a, a step, a chance to pray in community. And if none of the times or things that we have going on work for you, that's okay. Find a friend, find a couple friends, and make a time. Make a space. Maybe just start once a week. Maybe choose a prayer space right? Maybe it's not in a building. Maybe it's on the pier in Blaine. Maybe it could be anywhere. Just pick a space, um, but make it a habit, right? Make it a habit. And so that's where I want, really want to land this morning is, is prayer and community, because that's what Daniel shows us, right? Daniel had wisdom, but that wisdom led him to prayer and community, right? To, to crying out to God with his brothers who are in the fight. And so this is my last point. Through prayer, we embrace impossibilities as opportunities. We can embrace impossibilities as opportunities. Not opportunities for our glory, but for God's glory. When God does something amazing, that's an opportunity for his glory to shine. When we're in crisis and God saves us, that's a, that's a testimony to his power, right? And in the middle of this crisis this last week, a, a sportscaster felt like he was supposed to pray on air. And I've never seen that happen. And admittedly, I've watched a lot of sports over the years. <laughs> I admit it. So I wanted, to st I wanted to kind of stop with this story. Sometimes we're in the moment, and, and, and we just think about faith in relation to our time in our space, but I think it's also helpful to look back over history and see how God has worked in other places 
in other generations. And recently I read a story about a young pastor in Germany from the 1700s whose ministry was sustained and grew on nothing but prayer. There was no fundraising. It was just prayer. Uh, this was a, 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 a German pastor. Um, his name, you probably won't remember this, August Hermann Franke. I like how does Franke. That's a fun way to say Franke. That's nice. I like that. Um, but I picked up I picked up a book that he wrote that had been translated into English, and the title of the book was Footsteps of Divine Providence. And I was thinking about the title of that book, and it's kind of wordy and, and kind of classy for us, right? No, I'm kidding. Um, but, but that's faith. Our journey of faith is our, our footsteps of divine providence, right? Footsteps of divine providence. In this book, he, he lists 22 different times where, and, and this man had built orphanages, hospitals, schools, and churches, all on prayer. And there were times where he was completely out of money. Completely out of money. He just spent it. I would hate to be working for this guy, honestly. I would not have the faith. But in this book, he records 22 different times where he prayed and God gave. Where he prayed and God gave. And I want to read one of those times and just what he says about it. And again, I, the wording, this was translated in like the 1700s. So I tried to make it not so, I don't know, not, not, not so old school. But he says this, In the midst of these pressing circumstances, I found one comfort, which was a presence of mind in prayer, joined with a confidence dependent upon the Lord who hears the young ravens when they cry. When the prayer was over and I was just sitting down at the table, I heard somebody knock at the door, which when I opened, there was an acquaintance of mine holding in his hand a letter and a parcel of money wrapped up, which he presented to me. This pro uh, proved a seasonable relief and, suitab uh, and a suitable supply to our then low condition and proof that the Lord has heard even before we cried out to him, whereby his name was not a little magnified. <laughs> I just, I think that's powerful. Yeah. You know, that's, that's God not just working here and now, but throughout history, right? Sometimes we think about our faith and everything that needs to change, but we also need to look back and see all the amazing things that God has done. Because God, God has done amazing things, and we stand on the shoulders of people of faith for, from generation to generation. And so, but getting back to this kind of faith, which is fully extended, 22 times like I want to live with that kind of faith where I I pray expecting I pray expecting God to show up not to make me a millionaire or give me a private jet oh that's great if anybody wants to donate a private jet I'm all open no <laughs> not to make me a millionaire or give me a private jet but to provide my daily needs you know give me this day my daily bread give us this day our daily bread that was the prayer, and that's what happened. Let's, uh, let's pray. God, we, we pray for, for faith. Lord, I pray that you would touch each of our lives with increased faith. Faith to seek you in the difficult. Seek you in the impossible. And seek you when we feel like the world is abrasive.
God, there is so much to, to drag us away from you in this world. We've been saying, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. There's something in us that just wants to wander away from you. But Lord, I pray in this season, in this year, in this time, for great faith uh, to fill us, Lord, to, to not just think you might be able to help us, but to actually know and believe that you have the power to heal us, the power to send us, the power to provide. Lord, sometimes we believe you don't want to provide. But God, I believe, and if, if there's anyone in here who just is struggling with the idea that God will provide for me, I, I want to pray um, that you would receive that promise of God that he knows what you need and that he will provide for everything you need. Just like the young ravens in that story. Just like the birds. Just like uh, God provides. God provides. So we pray that provision. Uh, we pray just for, for our state, which is often weak and frail and doubting. Lord, would you help us to have faith? God, even faith, I love that you say even faith is a mustard seed. <laughs> yes, I'd love to pray for great faith, but Lord, just give us a mustard seed. Just give us a little faith. Just give us enough to believe and trust and not spin, but to sit, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, we're going to close in response in communion this morning. And uh, as, uh, as the music plays, we're going to invite you to come forward. And we have two options for communion. We have one that's prepackaged. And, uh, and, but if you're comfortable, we have a, a cut loaf and, and, uh, and juice available at the front. So whatever you want to take, you can take. You can take that back to your seat. And as you reflect this morning, just I want you to think about how God provides everything at this table. We just, we just get to come and receive from him. We get to receive his body and his blood. There's nothing we did to earn it, right? All, all that is required of us coming to this table is that we put our trust in Jesus. We just get to receive this morning. And so my prayer is you think about, as you think about what Jesus has given you, you just be able to receive it that you would just be able to receive it and and allow god to to do his work in your life so let's uh let's uh take the bread and the, and the cup
Lord, thank you for what we hold in our hands. Lord, we know what it represents. God, we know that it represents your body and your blood. Lord, we know that it was given for the whole world, yes, but for us. And that's why we do this, God. Because, yes, you're, you, you gave for the whole world, but you also gave for us. We also come to you as an individual to receive. So, Lord, I pray that you would allow, allow us to receive again, God, grace upon grace. Lord, the love and the grace and the freedom that you gave at the cross you interposed your precious blood that's what we take this morning it says uh, on the night that he was betrayed he took bread and when he blessed it, he broke it and said this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me let's take the bread It also says, in the same way he took the cup after supper, blessing it, and said, this is my blood poured out for you. Let's take the cup together. Jesus, we thank you for your body and your blood. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, may we, may it just hit differently this morning. May we own it this morning. May we May we experience anew the grace that is, is to be had, and, and that may that bring us to a place of joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and uh, close in worship this morning.